Uh, Genesis chapter 11. And uh, I want to read the first nine verses. And uh, let's uh, hear God's word. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city, a tower, with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And God came, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there, from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Well, last time we, uh, we camped out on the genealogy of chapter 10. And, uh, and there we saw how it, was, um, how it was that the blessing of God upon man who had been saved from the flood, you remember in chapter, uh, chapter 9, that blessing led to the expansion of mankind from the family of Noah to a multitude across the face of the whole earth. Uh, and we see there in verse 32 of chapter 10, And from these, the sons of Noah, uh, the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. And we saw that also in chapter 10, uh, there's, there's a sort of direction of travel of the narrative, if you like. There's a direction that is going in, where the focus moves from Noah... Uh, through all the sons to eventually uh, focus on Shem, uh, the, the third of the men- son that is mentioned, and it's from Shem's descendants that Abram Abram will come, and Abram will obviously be a very significant figure in chapter twelve, or the end of chapter eleven into twelve onwards, and he becomes a key figure uh, in God's saving purposes for mankind. Uh, but if you remember when we looked at that uh, genealogy that in chapter 10, we, we, we camped out also on, on Nimrod. Do you remember Nimrod? Uh, a whole five... I mean, chapter 10 is kind of a rather, on the face of it, a rather dull kind of list of names and places and cities. But then when you get to Nimrod, those five verses given over to him, and we're obviously intended to pay attention uh, to him, and we saw in Nimrod certain character traits that had developed in him that marked him out as a mighty man. 
in verse 8 of chapter 10. And so he was a, a mighty hunter, and not, as I said, of, uh, not of animals, or, or that sort of thing, uh, but of, of cities. That he was a hunter of cities, that he would uh, take over cities, that he, he wanted to extend his reach, his power, his influence uh, across the cities of mankind. And one of the cities that he ruled over was Babel. Uh, chapter 10, verse 10, Babel is mentioned as one of the cities. And, and it's interesting because between the genealogy of chapter 10 and another genealogy in chapter 11, which comes after the passage that we read, Moses tells us a story about Babel, the, the initial uh, attempts to build Babel. Now, in the Bible, Babel is known as, also as Babylon. It's the same place. And you find Babylon is mentioned uh, throughout the Bible. And it's not me- mentioned uh, positively. It's a city that would eventually rise up to worldwide significance before finally being gobbled up by the, the Persian Empire. So the Babylonian Empire emerged, and then the Persian Empire gobbled it up. You may remember that from Daniel chapter 5. The Persians took over. But Babylon became a a symbol, if you like, of a godless society. Of a society that had given up on God, that thought that it could live life and live in the world without reference to God. And so you find in the book of Revelation that uh, Babylon is described as Babylon the Great. But it's not a city so much as it stands for all the powers of godlessness and darkness in the world arrayed against, in contrast to, the church of Jesus Christ, the city of God. You see in Revelation, uh, Revelation chapter 18. And... And so when you look at Babel, as we come to and the, 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 initi- uh, uh, the, the instigation of Babel in chapter 11 of Genesis, uh, we need to bear that in mind. What kind of city was it to be when it was being built and being, con- being conceptualized? Now, of course, it was a real city, but it represents mankind in all his sin and depravity. And in ignoring God. And instead of living before God and living with God and in relationship to God, it represents mankind seeking to build a self-sufficient society where man depends upon his own ingenuity and his own powers and his own abilities. And of course the story of Babel, this story of Babel, is a warning to all generations afterwards that to live your life without God is to put yourself on a collision course with God. Indeed, to bring upon you the judgment of God. Well, in this story, I want to consider three elements of this story that I hope will be helpful to us this morning. Uh, Firstly, I want to think about the whole notion of ungodly ambition. The whole notion of ungodly ambition. Secondly, uh, how God comes in judgment. But interestingly, it's a kind of, 
it's a dark cloud with a silver lining. There's grace actually in God's judgment, and we'll see how that is in a minute. And then thirdly, there's a there's the solution. What is the solution to this city and the state of mankind? And we'll come to that and we'll expand out from the story of uh, Babel. But first of all, ungodly ambition. Uh, um, what, is, what is ambition? Ambition is something that emerges in the heart. It's, uh, it's, it's something that's going on within, within the human beings. We all have ambitions. And of course the heart is a secret place filled with desires and passions that drive men and women to act and behave in particular ways. So you see what I'm saying. You have the heart, it's full of ambition, and it drives you to do certain things. So what were the desires at the heart, in the hearts of these people in Babel? What ambitions did they have for themselves? And if you ponder that for a few moments and you look at this text, you'll see that there are two desires, two essential desires that the people have. One is a desire for reputation. Let us make a name for ourselves. And one is a desire for security, lest we just be dispersed over the face of the earth. So two things, reputation and security. They had ambitions to develop a reputation and to make themselves physically uh, secure. Let's just think about those two things under this main heading, ungodly ambition. Think about reputation, first of all. We might put it another way. We might talk about being famous. Uh, even if it's only for 15 minutes, we all want to be famous. Or we all want to have significance. Isn't that true of everyone? We all want to be significant, at least to some one other person in the world. If I can just be significant to at least one other person. But if you can expand your range of, of significance, all the better. Isn't that in the hearts of men and women today? Whether it's be in your home, or in your community, or in your place of work, or whatever you, you set your mind to, you want to expand your influence. Or social media, become a social media influencer. Isn't that the thing now? You wonder what these people are famous for, and they, they're famous for being famous and being influencers. But this idea of reputation, this is what the people who migrated to Shinar to build Babel wanted. Let's build a, a great city, let's, and let's put in the middle of it a great tower. So that the whole world can see just how, how famous we are, how important we are, how powerful we are. And that's what the world seeks to do. It seeks to build for themselves a reputation without reference to God. But here's the thing. It's only God who can give true significance to any man or woman, boy or girl. Only God can give you the significance that you crave and I crave. He is the giver of all true significance. If there is only one God and he is the foundation of all things, as we have read in the early chapters of Genesis, 
then surely he too is the source of all true significance. You see, when man was made, he was made as the pinnacle of creation. Remember on the, at the end of the sixth day when man was made and he was made to populate the earth? And what did God say about this creation? The Lord saw, and it was very good. All the other days were good, but when man was made, it was very good. You see, man gets his significance from God. And that's why you can read, in, for example, in Psalm 8. Psalm 8 builds on this question by saying this, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? That yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of his hands. You have put all things under his feet. This is mankind's place in the world. It's your place in God's world to have significance as you relate to him. And the big question that faces us as as a church of Jesus Christ as we look out into this world and we consider our own lives is if only people would turn to God through Jesus Christ and discover him to be good and to see that all possible significance is found in him as you relate to him. Then you discover all all the significance you could ever need. But instead... Sinful human beings, as sinful human beings, we want the world to revolve around us, around me, rather than God. And so it's no surprise then that when when human beings do that, they find that the seeking of true significance in life is a bit like seeking that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. You know, so what some people used to say. You know, at the end of a rainbow there's a pot of gold. Then you try and get to the end of the rainbow and you can't get there because it's always further away from you. That's what it's like trying to seek your significance without God. Without God, you see, all true significance is lost. And, I, you know, a desperate search then ensues in the heart of man that consumes his or her whole life and never quite finding that significance. And then what, what happens to people when they're like that? Well, they get to middle age, you know. And they begin to realize that much of their life and much of their pursuit of life and their significance in life, when they realize how far they're going to get and it's only going to be so far and they've only got so much significance, they begin to say, oh, it's meaningless. It's meaningless. It's meaningless. And I've met people who have entered into a a state of bitter resentment for the latter half of their lives because they have sought significance in something that is elusive and they can never find and they've ignored God. That can happen to Christians. Dare I say it? It can happen to Christians that while they are saved, and they may well be saved, and believe that in God and believe that the way of salvation is through Jesus Christ, yet if their knowledge of God is poor, and at the same time, should I say, not really realizing that their knowledge of God is poor, and that their knowledge of themselves is poor, 
they know they sin, but they don't really know the depth of their sin and the depth of their own hearts. And that their, their hearts are a sea of raging passions. And that they have not learned to, by God's grace, to bring, uh, bring those passions under control. Then Christians are in, uh, those Christians are in a, what I might say, immature Christians, are in a vulnerable position to selfish, ungodly ambition. And so you find Christians in church. And it may be a pastor like me. Or some people like you. Very gifted. And maybe with a bit of drive about you. But maybe driven by an ungodly ambition. For yourself and significance in the church. Let us make a name for ourselves. Is the little thought that keeps coming into the back of our minds. Let me make a name for myself. Even in the church. But of course, true reputation, true significance, can only ever be discovered when we single-mindedly pursue God and seek relationship with Him. The other thing that people want, so not its reputation, the other thing that people want is security. And their fear was, you know, the, the, the fear of the people in this passage was that they would, they would be dispersed. Uh, see that there at the end of verse 4. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. Their fear was that if they didn't build, then they would be scattered. A bit like a family separating from each other in some disaster and never seeing each other again. That kind of, that kind of dispersal. And of course, as human beings, we do need security. Um, but we need to have it from God. Every moment of our continued existence depends on God. And it is actually of interest to him, every moment of your continued existence. And one of the things we, we see here is that while mankind is, is seeking for security and trying to build for himself defences in a godless world, he's trying to use all the technology he can find to build around him, uh, that doesn't mean that God is not interested in his distance. You see what God is doing here. God looks down from heaven and he says, Behold, look, I see. I see what's going on here. But what we need, of course, is to find that God himself is our true security. He is the place where we need to go as his finite creatures made in his image. That he is our security. And this is how God describes himself all the way through the Psalms. One of the wonderful things about the Psalms is, is the images that it presents to us of God's relationship to us. Psalm 46 verse 1. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Or Psalm 61 verse 3. You have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. 
God is able to guard and protect his people. But in Shinar, where are they looking for security? It's in all that they can build themselves. Now, building, of course, is not necessarily a bad thing. But there's a a clue here about how they go about it. There's there's something wrong. If you look at verse 3, it says this, And they they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Now, uh, you and I might not know anything about building, and we don't realise what he's talking about there. But in, in this primitive culture... Uh, where the the materials are limited. If you want to build a tower or a defensive wall, you need to use stone and you need to use proper mortar. But instead they were cutting corners and saying, let's just make some bricks. Let's just use some bitumen. So the materials were were not really that good for the sake of the, uh, the city. But that's what happens in a society that forgets God. Wisdom evaporates. Workmanship suffers. And at the same time, man still thinks that by his intellect and creativity, he can overcome it all. That's how society works, isn't it? Even today, that's how society works. Uh, People think that we can just use our technology and solve all our problems. If we can apply our cleverness, we can build a society without God that is totally secure. But it's funny, isn't it? Just how things continually keep going wrong. There is never an end to politics, is there? And politicians coming and offering us solutions. You always have politics. And you always have people with simplistic solutions to problems. There's a... There's a kids' chorus that uh, sometimes we, we've sung with our children. Um, with Jesus in the boat, I can smile in the storm, smile in the storm, smile in the storm. Do you remember? With Jesus in the boat, I can smile in the storm, smile in the storm. I can't remember the tune. Susan knows it. But the point about that song is, of course, that whatever you face in life, even life-threatening situations, when you have Jesus, you have everything you need. You can smile because you're secure. there's a sense in which you are secure. And if you're a Christian, you know that that's true. Because Jesus Christ is the guarantor of eternal life. That with him, all is well and all shall be well. Whatever happens to us in life, he gives us security forever, for eternity. So two things that a godless world seeks for, reputation and security. These are dangers for us that we could easily fall into. Let me move on to the second point. I've spent a long time in the first one, so the second second and third will go quicker. But let's look at God's judgment on this situation. And the heading here is judgment yet grace. Judgment yet grace. In all of this, the people of Babel have no thought that there might be a God in heaven. And what they didn't realise was that God actually has thoughts about them too. And that's as much true today as it ever was. That most people in this world today live their lives without a thought that there is a God in heaven and that every moment of their continued existence is dependent upon him, and yet is of no interest, um, uh, and yet is of, of huge interest to him. 
God continually is interested in the affairs of mankind. And so here in Genesis 11, we see God coming down to have a look and see what they've got up to. So verse 6 says, Behold, so he's having a look. And notice that God observes here uh, the fact that they have one language. Uh, They speak the same words, verse 1. There is no differentiation between peoples. They have all been descended from Noah. They all speak the same language. And in a sense, it's a wonderful picture of harmony and unity, isn't it? Uh, you all speak the same language. And yet because of this passion for, uh, for, for reputation and security, all without God, then this becomes a problem. And if you read on, at the end of verse 6, it says, This is only the beginning of what they will do. This is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Which, of course, in this context, is a bad thing. You see, when godlessness is rampant, which we sang at the beginning, and it's unified, then having no limits to what you can do is a bad thing. So in verse 7, God says, let us go down. And what does he do? Well, verse 7, confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. What does God do? Well, he sows confusion amongst his enemies. The work, and because of that confusion, the work has to stop. It's interesting to think how that happened. You know, suddenly, you know, for a time, everybody's talking the same language, and then suddenly, when people communicate, they can't talk to each other. They can't seem to communicate with each other. They use different words all of a sudden. And the consequence of this is, is described in verse 8. The Lord dispersed them from, from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. So this is a city that never got finished. At least not at this time. And the very thing that they are seeking, security, is a complete failure. Because they, in the end they are dispersed over all the earth. Well, what are the lessons from this? that we can learn today. God, God acts in judgment. Well, number one is, when God acts, nothing can stop it. When God acts, nothing can stop it. Unlike the works of man done without God, ultimately, they cannot achieve, mankind cannot achieve what the human, car, human heart can only find in God alone. So nothing can stop what God wants to do. But notice also that though this is an act of temporal judgment on the people of Babel, it's also an act of restraining mercy. And this is the other great truth that we've been talking about God's common grace over the last uh, few times. That uh, we've spoken about this, how how there's so much that is made in this earth that we can enjoy, uh, that we can be amazed at. There's so much to to delve into in this earth. And all of it comes from God's common grace. But God also acts with a restraining hand to limit the power of the sinful desires of man. And this is important for us to realise, I think. 
that no matter how bad we think things get in this world, there are limits to the powers that evil can do. Now we know this from Jesus' teaching. Uh, You may remember us uh, an occasion in Matthew 24, Jesus is on the Mount of Olives talking to his disciples about what's going to happen. He begins to speak about the tribulation that's going to come. And I think, and you know, I, I'm, I'm convinced that he's talking there about the, in a generation's time, he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem by the, under the hand of the Romans, Matthew 24. And Jesus says, in the midst of that discussion, he says, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. And what Jesus is saying here is he's giving us an insight into the fact that God is able to cut short troublesome days. He is able to restrain the evil that is arrayed against his ways. And it's, it's important, that statement of Jesus, because it tells us something, it gives us a reason why he cuts it short. He cuts it short for the sake of the elect. For the sake of God's people. For the sake of his saved people. For the sake of the church that he is saving. And this helps us to understand why back in Genesis chapter 11, God comes down to confuse the language. Because ultimately he does that in order that his plans for the salvation of a people will carry on throughout the generations to come. You see, the the heart of human history is what you might call a golden thread of God's saving work. A plan that was decreed from eternity past to prepare a way for the salvation of sinners If you like, to provide a way back to the tree of life that was lost in Genesis chapter 3, to provide a seed, Genesis 3.15, who comes to fruition in Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman, who would live a life of perfect obedience that Adam and all subsequent generations could not, but then would die a death he did not deserve. To open the way through the guardian, guardian, guardian cherubim, remember the cherubim at the Garden of Eden, to give access again into the Holy of Holies, into the, way, the tree of life. This is Jesus. This is the plan of salvation. And when Jesus goes into the Holy of Holies, he is the tree of life. And with him all his people enter into the Holy of Holies and are saved. This is the great plan of salvation that God is working out throughout history. And to achieve all of that, nothing is left to chance. And as necessary, God interrupts evil and sets limits on it so that his plans are carried out and his people are brought home to safety. Well, we're already into the final point of the sermon. And the final point is this, God's ultimate solution to the sinfulness of mankind. 
the answer to the sin of mankind that you see here in Genesis chapter 11 is what God is planning in Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought that with the coming of the gospel, God gave a very clear signal that the confusion of Babel was now being reversed? Where would you see that? Well, t- let me, what happened at Pentecost? The day of Pentecost. People from all regions of the Roman Empire gathered in Jerusalem, speaking different languages. Suddenly they are united in hearing the gospel preached in a language they understand. Suddenly all these people, though they came from from a diversity of regions in the known world, were united in hearing that one single message of the gospel that Peter proclaimed. And 3,000 were gathered in and baptized and joined to Jesus Christ. You see, while mankind tries to find a way to build stable societies and a stable world to live in, but consistently fails because they don't know God and do not know themselves, all this while, another building is being built the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus is building a city, a great city, a better city. And do not be deceived by physical appearances. This is the story of history. It's not what's primarily what's happening with American dominance in the world. It's not about our China or Russia. It's about Jesus Christ, all of it. And in the end, he will be seen to have built the most glorious, beautiful city. And the question for you and me this morning is, are you in that city? Have you become a citizen of that city. Not a citizen of the world, but a citizen of the city of God, the city of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage that challenges us in uh, profound ways about our uh, our desire for reputation and significance and for security. And Lord, we pray You'd help us to overcome those uh, godless passions. That we would have a godly ambition for the glory of God in our lives. And seek to find our true significance in you through Jesus Christ. Help us, we pray, to believe all that the Bible tells us about what Jesus is doing today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.